0: Hi, I'm Dr. Rob Strauss, Vice President of Program Development at Team Health, and welcome to the Team Health Podcast, where we'll explore interesting topics across the field of medicine with in-depth conversations with leading clinicians in all specialties. My hope is that these conversations will impact you in a meaningful way and benefit you in your role as a clinician. If you have a question about this podcast or an idea for a future medical topic that you'd like us to discuss, please email your comments to podcast at teamhealth.com. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to our program. Today's program, while not an easy discussion, truly goes beyond the medicine. We're going to talk about clinician burnout. More than half of physicians have some burnout symptoms and the numbers increasing. Emergency medicine is considered by many to be the most burned out specialty, 60% with several other specialties not far behind. A UCLA study reported 20% of residents said they fell asleep while driving because of work-related fatigue. Joining me today is Dr. Robert France, an experienced, thoughtful leader in healthcare. He's an emergency physician by training. Robbie, you are president of the West Group of Team Health with huge responsibilities. You've been involved in organized medicine. And why you're here today is I've listened to you talk with great wisdom and experience on the issues of burnout. Welcome to the program.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So, Robbie, in your experience, tell me, why is this important? How significant is the problem?
1: You know, Rob, it's pretty significant. Um you know, at all the studies that you talked about, you know, over the last few years have indicated that, again, as you said, about half the physicians in the current workforce have experienced burnout at some point in their career. And and I kind of jokingly say that the other half um, are, are probably in denial. You know, they probably don't know uh, <laughs> that they're experiencing burnout or that they fail to recognize the signs. And so it, it really is a, a pretty significant issue. And, and the reason, of course, is because Burnout contributes to uh, shortened careers uh, for physicians and other healthcare providers. It um, it it also is it's like trying to struggle with a chronic illness, you know, while you're at work. I, I liken it to to trying to, to to live a a normal life, but you have insulin dependent diabetes. You know, this is something that is has an effect on your quality of life at, at that time. So it not only shortens your career, but it affects your quality of life, your quality of your professional life, but also, your, uh, your, your personal life as well. And, you know, it, it, it affects your empathy. Uh, it leads to dissatisfaction. Uh, there are quality issues that are perceived by patients in hospitals and, and of course, lost productivity um, in, in career years and, um, you know, and quality of life. So it's a pretty significant issue. The the numbers um are, are pretty staggering when it gets right down to it, uh, when you when you see these objective studies and it, it really should be setting off alarm bells for all of us who support those people that are out there doing the job.
0: When did you say it occurs? You're saying uh, early in the career of a lot of uh, physicians, is that right?
1: Yeah, interestingly, um, those they seem to be the highest risk, seem to be in the first third or the first half of their careers and it's unclear exactly why. I mean, it, a lot of people would sort of think that, you know, that this is sort of a dose exposure problem, right? Like radiation, that uh, the more you're sort of around it, that, that um, you know, you have a problem later in your career. But it appears that the highest risk, frankly, is in that first uh, third, the first one half of your career. The reasons are, are probably multifactorial uh, when it gets right down to it. The 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 issue with people not experiencing or not reporting burnout later in their careers may be that uh, they've learned how to cope better with it. They they've come to a place of acceptance about the things that sort of contribute to burnout earlier in a career, or they've learned coping mechanisms to to sort of manage it. You know, to sort of uh, segregate that away from you know their uh, their psyche, if you will. Or it may be that uh, they've just opted out. You know, they may have already left that career in medicine, and the people that that are still there uh, are the survivors, if you will, the people who have, um, you know, they, they weren't necessarily prone to burnout even in the beginning part of their career. So it could be um, a strange effect from that. Now, so the question of corn comes down to why why early in the career? Why do you have that problem early in the career? And the, the reasons, I think, are, um, you know, pretty obvious if you sit and think about it. First of all, transitioning from uh, that residency experience to attending, that job is often sort of, that transition is sort of underestimated, the impact of that. I mean, everybody sort of knew that when they transitioned from undergrad to medical school, it was going to be tough. And they knew that when they went from medical school to residency, I mean, we all saw residents above us in training, and we anticipated how difficult that was. But a lot of times, you know, residents are making that transition to their first attending job, and they think to themselves, boy, this is what I've been working for. You know, I've mortgaged my relationships. I've mortgaged, you know, um, my life, I've I've taken a decade of time, you know, and I've got this delayed gratification, and I'm, this is going to be, um, you know, my my pot at the end of the rainbow, and and it's going to be great. But then when they get out there, um, it's hard. It's really hard. You know, the job is incredibly difficult, and there's no off-service rotation. You know, you're this isn't like residency where you do a month of of one, you know, on-service rotation and you do something else. Now this is your life, and. I had a professor in medical school that once said, you know, the fantasy is not the fact, you know, that we have these ideas in our head about what the fantasy of this will be, um and then the fact of it sometimes is really different and that um that conflict seems to uh, be part of the problem uh, with that early career it there is uh, a of reporting of burnout it is um you know there is disappointment for sure there is uh, the fact that it doesn 't live up to the fantasy, and it can be um, that can be a very, very tough transition
0: well that's that's that 's fascinating because you answered a question of mine that surprised me when I heard you say it because I would have thought later in the career as we get older, less flexible, night shifts become harder, people get tired uh there are multiple health care changes and mandates, but what you 've described to me. Is how difficult it is right away, and the disappointment, and how poorly prepared we are, and that the reality is not what we had thought. So, Robbie, in a, in your position as a leader that people trust, you must have come across and addressed some truly unfortunate, if not devastating, cases. Can you can you tell us about that?
1: We started looking at burnout significantly uh, within our group uh, of team health. I'd say three or four years ago we really started digging into it, and when we did, uh, we unroofed i I think the, the the whole problem we 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 made it okay, we tried to remove the stigma to to talk about it the to, to recognize it, and we started talking about the the signs, the warning signs and recognizing signs of burnout uh, earlier in its in its course to try to catch it earlier. And when we started um, doing this, and we started kind of educating our leaders to start asking questions, we found we found immediately a half dozen within the first year uh, providers who were actively suicidal, actively thinking about um, committing suicide, and it, it that was staggering to me. I, I've had uh, because I've been talking so much about it, I've had pro- providers just you know, physicians uh, reach out to me, and I have one that I I talk with on on occasion, and she just is um, overwhelmed with the difficulty of the job and the you know the dissatisfaction of the job. I mean, clearly, she's had burnout um, for some time, and is just struggling to cope with it. And so, we've had um, we've had people that we've been able to identify that we're impaired, that we were able to get into treatment. We've had people that, again, that, um, you know, initially denied having any sort of problem, but then you, you sit down and talk to them, and, and their stories are heartbreaking. And the, the thing that's really um, striking to me is that it, it is um, disproportionately affecting our females. Um, our female colleagues are, are, are feeling it. Uh, even more, even more, and it is you know the 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 studies sort of support that fact they say that that's what we should expect, but that is truly um that's been my experience as well uh talking with him
0: robbie i I don't know if you're comfortable with it, but i I know you have your own personal story of uh burnout or feeling really quite overwhelmed. Would you be willing to share a little bit of that with us? sure, um you know. <laughs> A couple of years ago, I was
1: asked to, to get up and, and sort of just talk about burnout um, and just give a few comments on it, and in preparation to that, I started thinking about my own experience with it, and I, I thought about, you know, friends of mine who um, had it and had really bad consequences from it or had some sort of career-ending and, and some occasions, a life-ending uh, problem, and then I started thinking, well, have, have I ever really had it, And and I had to be honest and say that I really had, and then... I felt it was important to share it broadly uh, because one of the major problems, I think, with burnout is our inability to sort of talk about it. There's this sort of perception of weakness, right? And what I said at the time is that vulnerability isn't the same thing as weakness. Vulnerability sometimes is just the opposite. Sometimes it's incredible strength. And unless we're willing to be vulnerable, uh, we can't, we can't get there. You know, we're not ever going to be able to solve this problem. We got it. We got to be open and honest about it. So, sharing my own story, um, I, I think is important. So, I got out of residency, and I was a non-traditional student. I went to residency later in life. Uh, got got out of medical school later, uh, and I had I thought pretty well-developed coping mechanisms. I'd been a paramedic, and a cop. I'd done this for 10 years uh, before I ever even went to medical school, and so I felt. I felt pretty bulletproof, to be honest, Rob. Um, And then I got out of residency, and that transition was hard, and I uh, found myself uh, with a divorce. And I just decided my way through this was just to work more, just to work harder. And so I started picking up more shifts, and I started working more shifts, and there were always more to work, so that was good. And I felt a sense of personal accomplishment from my job. I felt I felt um, supported there. I felt like I had a family there. I, it it kind of gave something back to me. But what I didn't realize is that all the while, it was kind of taking from me, and the more that I poured myself into it, and I became a medical director, and I became an EMS director, and I became the medical director of two facilities, and I became the medical director of three facilities, um, I, was, I was mortgaging my own health, uh, and I didn't even know it. And then I had a lawsuit, and so I, got into a malpractice lawsuit with three of my peers, and we went to trial uh, two or three years into this. And I was so confident that, that we would win because we didn't do anything wrong. I, I knew we delivered good care, and I, I knew there wouldn't be a problem, um, but I was eager to go. I was eager to go to court. And so after the first week of trial, uh, I'm working two clinical shifts on the weekend, two 12-hour shifts, and I'm exhausted. Then I go back for another week of trial, and at the end of that second week of trial, we lost. We lost. It was a million-dollar verdict uh, to, the, to the plaintiff. And I couldn't have been more surprised. And I thought, well, how am I going to get over this? You know, what am I going to do to, to get past this? And I did what I always did. I, I went back to work. So this happened on Friday, and Saturday I found myself working, and I went uh, and pulled a shift in the ER, and I'm seeing patients like I normally do, except I noticed that at about 11 o'clock in the morning, I've got about 12 people on my board, and my partners are each managing about two or three. And the nurses are frustrated with me because I can't move the patients because I've ordered a whole bunch of tests. I mean, I'm waiting on MRIs, I'm waiting on, on, on lab that I wouldn't ordinarily order, and I seem incapable of making a decision. I can't seem to get a disposition on the patients. This was completely out of character for me. And I... I became frustrated and I became upset and the nurses are worried about me because, you know, this is not my normal workflow. And and I realized uh, all of a sudden I've got a problem. I, I'm I'm overwhelmed. I'm emotionally overwhelmed. Um, and I, I'm telling you I couldn't have been more surprised uh, to be sitting at the desk in the emergency department crying in the middle of my shift. And that was my very first um insight that I had. I was burned out. I, I was absolutely shocked that I was sitting there um, at, like, what is wrong with me? And the only thing I knew to do was to call one of my mentors, one of my attendings, back when I was a resident. I mean, I went all the way back. I regressed to internship. And I called uh, this doctor and I said, I've got seven hours left in my shift. And I mean, I said, David, I I don't know if I can get through this thing. And I said, I I suddenly understand. You know, I wasn't the husband that I wanted to be or I could have been. I haven't been the father that I could have been. I wasn't the friend that I wanted to be. I wasn't, you know, the person that I wanted to be. But I always felt like I was the doctor I wanted to be. I always felt that I was good at that, and now I'm not that. And suddenly, you know, I realized that I had I had become a physician. It was not just what I did. It was my identity, you know, and I had given up everything else for this. And, and then I wasn't even good at that, so <laughs> it started a very painful um, introspective process to to get myself out of this. And I thought, if I can if I can get back from this, um, I will I'll do every, anything I can to try to help this help other people from having this happen to them, or to recognize it earlier, or to help them get through it if they get to that point. But I I managed to get all the way up to that critical burnout level um, before I realized I even had it.
0: Wow. Uh, Robbie, thank you, first of all, for for sharing that. Uh, Your willingness to share your uh, personal situation and provide perspective helps me, and I'm sure others listening realize, that we don't have to be Superman or Superwoman. Um, There so many onslaughts that occur to our self image and uh, so that, very helpful thank you thank you robbie um so we we agree that uh burnout is just horrible on multiple levels, bad for us um uh, bad for our families, the staff the patients the organization and it's it's everywhere um and we continue to hear that it, the majority of clinicians have at least one symptom of burnout. And unfortunately, though, it's so common and damaging, as you mentioned, it remains a taboo subject in the workplace. Uh, stress management and burnout prevention are never covered in medical school or residency training. So why why is that? Why is it hidden? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would like to think that Current
1: uh, residency training, current medical education deals with this to some degree, and I, I'd like to think that uh, provider wellness is an important part of education nowadays, but I, I based on my uh, discussions with new residents and, and interns, I, I believe that not to be the case. And <laughs> the culture of medicine, I, I mean, let's face it, our, our training um, is... I mean, it can be very brutal. I mean, it, you know, what, what other job out there has a, a a minimum safe requirement of eighty hours a week for a work week? I mean, that's the minimum, right? And everybody knows that that's. I mean, that's just laughable in many residencies. I mean, that's just completely violated a lot of times. And so you're um, you're indoctrinated. You're you are enculturated to work hard and to push through it. And you know that therapeutic relationship with the patient, you know, requires that distance and. You know, emotional distance in order to be therapeutic, but we, we do this with our, our sometimes with our families and our peers, and we do it with ourselves. And you know, so um, we're encouraged to engage in active denial. Uh, we're encouraged to to uh, sort of put our needs second. Um, <laughs> we're encouraged to work our way through it and just work harder, and that, that work will sort of fix it all. And and those things are exactly the the wrong way to approach burnout. And then you, you put that with the predisposing factors of a personality. I mean, it, the idea is that, you know, people who um, are hard drivers and in their empath, in their empathic uh, professions are at higher risk for burnout. And, I mean, that's exactly what physicians are in NAPCs. That's exactly what it is. And so you just put yourself at risk for this frustrated idealism concept. And then the way you sort of treat it is to ignore it. And I mean, what illness gets better by ignoring it? You know, not one that I can think of. There isn't one, you know, maybe poison ivy goes away ultimately if you, if you just kind of (laughs) ignore it, but I, you know, the burnout is not poison ivy. Right. And so uh, it's a, I mean, it's a significant problem.
0: So it's, pretty common. We work in an intensive environment, occasionally lives are on the line and it's not unusual for frustration to build and providers have outbursts and I'm not talking about a Mount Vesuvius outburst but an emotional moment of loss of control. Um, And yet we hear of stories of group leaders and directors and colleagues being surprised and even completely unaware when this is uh, more of a serious, chronic, worsening condition, there must be clues that would alert a leader or to a struggling provider. What are the indicators?
1: I gave a lecture not long ago, Rob, where I was kind of thinking about this, and I sort of likened to burnout um, to sepsis. You know, it's a medical diagnosis that almost all of us understand pretty well now, and. There are clear identifying diagnostic criteria at each step of it, you know, and at the far left, you know, the minimum side of that spectrum, you've got an infection. And at the far right of this thing, you've got septic shock. And at each guide point along the way, from infection to sepsis to severe sepsis to septic shock, there are clear laboratory and diagnostic criteria for each one of those things. And I think, uh, to be honest, I, I feel that burnout is a little like that. I think it's kind of a continuum we've all had frustrating shifts. I mean, you go to work and um, it it doesn't go well. You have an unexpected bad outcome uh, of a patient. You have some, you know, two or three bad shifts in a row. And I liken that to infection. You know, that's sort of, um, you know, exhaustion. You're tired. You're there. It's 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 a you're in it, you're not happy it's not going well the the electronic medical record isn't working well. your voice recognition software is on the fritz, and you had a very frustrating shift you know and and you might have an emotional outburst and you might feel badly from that. that. doesn't mean you're going to get you know impaired you know which is what septic shock would be to me in my mind for for burnout that's impairment at the far right of this thing. But if it continues, and if it goes untreated, and it goes unrecognized, you certainly increase your risk of getting there, right? So um, recognizing those things in ourselves and our colleagues are important. At that point, um, when, you, when you start to see, you know, people are down, they're late for their shift, they're normally there 30 minutes early, they want to kind of usually be there to sort of get uh, in their shift, they clean their work environment, they're ready to go, you know, white, clean clothes, clean lab coat, you know, and then all of a sudden you notice, wow, you know, they're late today. They really didn't want to come in. They don't seem to have any energy. It looks like they didn't any sleep. They, they're they kind of unkempt a little bit. You know, they're on, you know, their fifth of five shifts in a row. Um, this is someone that, you know, you need to identify that. You need to say, hey, maybe we need some scheduled rehab. Maybe we need a day or two off. Maybe you need to uh, pull a couple of shifts in a less acute environment, you know, of our department or something along those lines. Or maybe we You should uh, work fewer 12s, and we need to move to some eight-hour shifts. No, we need to be doing things like that. So I think that's the first stage of this. But as it goes on, these things become more and more serious. You know, at that burnout start, you know, of this thing, the the sepsis part, I mean, you start to see emotional exhaustion. You know, you're having comments like, I just can't do this anymore. Um, They seem to be overextended and depleted. They have, you know, all their emotional and physical resources seem to be completely used up. And this is a precursor to depersonalization. And a depersonalization, you know, the statement of this is like, I'm not even sure why I want to do this anymore. Maybe I don't want to do this. You know, and I met with a physician a few years ago who told me, and he was, and he was a, I didn't realize it at the time, but he was incredibly at risk for burnout. He was being burned out. But he was just two years into his career, and he said, I wish I'd never done emergency medicine. I wish I'd never done this. And now it's too late for me. You know, I'm not even sure why I'm doing this. And I said, well, what would you do if you weren't doing this? And he said, well, I'd. I, I don't know, maybe I'd be a professional gambler. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of what you do now. As an ER doctor, you're kind of a professional gambler, <laughs> right? And so, I mean, but I, that was, a, and I kind of blew it off, you know, which was, a, I mean, I didn't do him any good service at all because what he was saying was that, hey, I've got depersonalization. I, I'm I'm burned out. I mean, I'm too, he's at the highest risk in his career at that time period. I didn't even recognize it. I didn't even recognize it. So, those kinds of comments are important, especially if you're a physician leader or a peer, and you hear your peers saying those types of things. And then it just gets more severe from there.
0: So recognition clearly, clearly is key. It's Certainly something that uh, I believe that you are completely aware of. But once recognized, Robbie, what what has been done? What can be done to help these uh, clinicians who are in trouble? What what resources? That's a great question,
1: and in all complete transparency, um, there isn't a magic bullet for it. There is not, um, there isn't, you know, vancomycin for burnout. We don't have some sort of, um, you know, wonder drug that we can sort of pour on this thing, and in 12 hours you're going to defravest your fever, and all of your lab markers are going to look better, and you're going to be fine. You know, you're going to have a couple of days of illness, and you're going to be fine. What's also clear is that we're not going to yoga and Pilates our way out of this thing. I mean, this isn't um, at the point of where you're de- you know, having depersonalization and and you're having, you know, this concept of your personal achievements don't even matter. Once you're to that point, um, a lot of the things that we talk about that, that help with, you know, the wellness, if you will, provider wellness, um, meditation and yoga and time off and a vacation and those sorts of things, that, that's not going to get it done. I mean, that's not going to be enough. And so what, what there is um, is, I think, forward-thinking companies have, have put um, processes in place where there is an employee wellness um, resource, if you will, that they can access. And, they, you know, you, you need to start talking uh, about this because one of the things that really seems to, to help is to identify that other people have this and have had it and they've gotten themselves through it. And it, you know, it's going to require, it's a long cure. It's a long cure because ultimately what has to happen is that you've got to kind of foster this concept of resilience. And so that, that has got to be fostered all along. Um, then, then you have to kind of accept the things that you can't change. And then you got to kind of work actively to change those things that you can change that really, you know, make the biggest contribution to your personal burnout. And it could be different for everybody. You know, in my case, Uh, it was how much work I was doing. I wasn't really frustrated by an electronic medical record or uh, those sorts of things. I was frustrated by, uh, you know, my administrative uh, load, uh, but I had to find a way to sort of work through that. So, I mean, just like, I mean, we all get to this common place with our burnout, but the path we take there um, is unique. And that path has got to be sort of Unpacked and dissected and walked back and that's that's the problem that's why there's not going to be i don't think a a simple single magic bullet to to solve it
0: creating balance and resilience in our own lives um, are are critical, and having leaders that we can trust hold our best interests as their primary concerns um, is uh, is Necessary, Robbie, I think everyone who who knows you wishes that they had a leader as thoughtful and emotionally intelligent as you. There's a lot more to discuss on this topic, perhaps some of the specific interventions that can be employed. Uh, I'm wondering if you might be willing uh, sometime later to come back and share more of your expertise, Robbie.
1: yeah, of course, Rob. We can talk about it anytime you like.
0: If any of you listening would like more information or to make a comment, you can uh, reach us by emailing us at podcast at com. We look forward to hearing from you.